Welcome to America This Week. I'm Matt Taibbi. And I'm Walter Kern. Walter, how are you this week? I'm great. I'm in Las Vegas. It's a clear day. Uh, it's the big Las Vegas weekend because of the basketball tournament. Um, oh. They're gonna, yeah. What what basketball tournament? Well, wait a second. Am I wrong? Is it not yet uh, the NBA? Oh, I mean, is it the, the, uh, the final like NCAA. the NCAAs? March Boy, if I'm wrong on that, if I'm wrong on that, we're going to be uh, we're going to be in the drain. No, no, no. But, uh, it, pro- it probably is March Madness. I've just been like my normally my whole life is organized around the sports calendar, but the last <laughs> the last three weeks have been disrupted. The last last three months have disrupted that flow so much. Like this is normally like the biggest week of the year for me because it's in, it's NFL free agency and. Oh, I yeah, see. and I I usually spend the entire week doing nothing but scrolling Twitter to see who the Patriots have signed, um, right? And you know, speculating and like worrying about it, and watching highlight videos of you know obscure fifty eighth men on the roster, that kind of thing. Um, right. But I actually have a job now, so um, I you know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't. I'm I'm estranged from the sports calendar. So, uh, but uh, right. it's it's going on in Vegas. Well, the sports calendar runs Las Vegas. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. I, I you know um, I I place bets maybe once a year, and I only do them if my son recommends them. So I'll be calling him up and getting some tips on the basketball world and trying to make a little extra nice. cash. Nice. I'm about $70 up on my slot machine play on this recent trip to Las Vegas. You know, I spend a little time sweet in the winter. So, um, sweet. The gods are with me. You can man. buy like a Zagnut with that, right? <laughs> <laughs> like how much, how much does a candy bar yeah, cost I mean, at, a, at a casino these days? Well, I don't know what it costs at a casino, but even in a gas station, it's a couple bucks. Mm. Um, once once candy bars broke the dollar, you know, the one dollar line, uh, I realized I was in a new world and was headed for the grave because uh, I just can't imagine uh, paying more. But uh, casinos are able, like airports, able to charge almost anything depending on, you know, uh, what the market will bear. And right now uh, with uh, the tournament, you get thousand dollar hotels that were fifty dollar hotels you know uh uh hotel rooms so um i don't go outside during this time well why uh, would you it's, it's too expensive right <laughs> the heat I, I it's unbearable yeah. but i like vegas I, I used i used to go for the um the nba summer league i've covered that a couple times in vegas which is a a great event to go to um highly recommend it if you, especially if you get a press pass. Living in Las Vegas is weird because the events that, you know, uh, govern our lives and are, are sort of big premier events in the rest of the country always have a Las Vegas angle. And even politics has a Las Vegas angle. As soon as the presidential election season starts getting going, you're going to see speeches here constantly because, I mean, I don't know if they come here to get bags of cash or whatever, but I have never been in a city where as many politicians show up as regularly as they do here. 
I'm not sure why, but it probably isn't good. I always um, imagine that there is some scene going on at every election season where Eighth Rothstein is is like holding Mitt Romney's hand on the table and like with the hammer, you know, like <laughs> you can either support, you know, socialized medicine or, or you know, give up your health care plan or, or, you know, walk out of here with a hand, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and it's Harry Reid right. or whoever it is. I don't know. Like it, it, Vegas does. Well, Harry Reid is now the official namesake of the airport in Las Vegas. It used to be called McCarran Airport, and now it's Harry Reid. I love that. Airport. I love that. So, they, um, so they, they replace the name of one infamously corrupt senator with another infamously corrupt senator, right? Because <laughs> McCarran was the inspiration of the, the, the senator in The Godfather, right? I think uh, I thought it was Paul Axe. It may, it may have been. Yeah, McCarran. I think it was McCarran. For some reason, I thought it might have been. Senator, Lacks. my offer to you yeah. is this: nothing. In that whole that whole yeah. scene. Well, I think that there's a nostalgia for the days when politics were so sort of salty and down to earth that Las Vegas, you know, deal making affected them. I, I, now that Davos deal making seems to be the driving Ugh. force in politics, uh, little Las Vegas has, you know, lost some of its uh, clout, I think. Um, can, I can't even imagine what kind of fun people have at Davos. I mean, I get they're all billionaires. They must be doing something fun. They must have great drugs and probably, you know, whatever sex they're into, they're having it. But I don't know. Uh, it doesn't seem like a fun scene. Well, at to the me. last one, at the last one, I remember there being some news about the uh, escort world and and, and Davos. Um, if it, it the problem with Davos is that you can't park a yacht <laughs> next to the the uh, meeting like you can, you know, at the Cannes Film Festival or something, and not being able to park yachts nearby limits the amount of vice you can right. engage in. Right. Um, yeah. Well, you can park like a. Pretty soon they'll have like a floating, sort of, Godzilla-style spaceship that they'll all be traveling in. Well, you can probably take your Gulfstream Four up over Swiss airspace and fly around in circles while you cavort with, uh, you know, whoever you. Yeah, wasn't to that the with? kind of I the plan know. with the Epstein Express or whatever it was like? <laughs> yeah, Little Lady Express. Express. Yeah. 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 Anyway. Um But any yeah, let's get let's get down to it. You just released a new Twitter files thread on, mm-hmm. on Twitter, and its subject was something called the Virality mm-hmm. Project from my favorite university now, Stanford University, which seems to have fully folded itself into the batter of the censorship state. Um and uh, created a product uh, that, that that you inspected rather carefully um, that allowed them to do what exactly? So this is um, this is a direct consequence of you know about a month ago when I started to see that there was in the Twitter files this problem of there being too many of these state sponsored. Um, think tanks that are doing disinformation work for me to keep track of. Um, 
I decided to mm-hmm. invest some money in hiring a bunch of bodies to help research this and brought in some people who really know this world a little bit and some like ex-military folks and uh, some other people who kind of know this world. And um, so they went through a lot of this material and right before, like literally an hour, probably before the, um, we had to submit our statements for the hearing last week. Um, one of these researchers found this node of emails involving Stan- Stanford's Virality Project. And the essence of them was th- there were two big stories embedded in this email chain. One of them was that Stanford, with the backing of a number of partners and some government agencies, had created a cross-platform um, single digital ticketing system that was processing censorship requests for all of them, Facebook, Google, TikTok, YouTube, um, Pinterest, Medium, Twitter, uh, which is, you know, significant enough, right? You would think that would be an antitrust issue, like some other stuff in there. And then the second thing is they, they specifically outlined from the very beginning that, um, true stories that promote hesitancy were on were what the, something they defined officially as um standard misinformation on your platform and so this thread that we did is basically we we went through every instance of what we could find um of them defining true things as disinformation or misinformation or malinformation and the, the the takeaway that you come from this is that they they really this is an innovation it's, it's a it's a new evolution of of the disinformation process away from trying to figure out what's true and what's not and just going directly to mm-hmm. political narrative um and so 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 i noticed in the thread that the virality people who are now targeting vaccine hesitancy and so-called COVID misinformation, also pointed out that this enterprise was an extension of what they'd done yes. with the election. Yes, they, they, they had done. Mm-hmm. In other words, they were using a tool that had been perfected during the uh, 2020 election and, and, and training this cannon on the COVID. Yeah, so Subject. so in the summer of 2020, Stanford created the Election Integrity Partnership, and there's a video of it, of its director, this guy Alex Stamos, who came from Facebook, saying that um, CISA, the DHS agency, um, would like to do election monitoring, but you know is, is limited legally, so. Stanford is going to step in and quote fill the gap for CISA, and so Stanford has no hesitation in doing what is illegal for the government to do. <laughs> basically, basically, yes, and they openly describe themselves with the EIP. They openly describe themselves as partners of CISA, um, and we we thought it was interesting because we found in the Twitter files. We'd find these these emails that say, 
from CISA escalated by EIP. So what's CISA again? It's the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. They use <laughs> uh, security twice in the same name, but mm-hmm. it's it's the subdivision of the Department of Homeland Security, which is now responsible for disinformation. This is this is this is where the Ministry of Truth is going to be born, um, probably. Mm-hmm. And right. they tried to create the Disinformation Governance Board. Remember with that crazy woman, uh, Nina Jankowitz, mm-hmm. the Mary Poppins person? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Is it, hasn't she recently been, uh, been panhandling on social media mm-hmm. for uh, legal uh, fee help? Uh, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So the... The thing that she was going to be in charge of, which was the sort of universal uh, government effort at combating uh, disinformation, which they've now dis- they've now officially termed uh, critical infrastructure, the information landscape. Um, so right, so us talking to each other is the equivalent of like power lines and interstate mm-hmm. highways now. Mm-hmm. Um, Exactly, exactly. Depending on what we talk about, but especially if we talk about elections or whatever. Um, So she was going to be in charge of that. And this thing, the Virality Project, uh, I'm pretty sure was the dry run for that that thing, the Disinformation Governance Board. Because they, at the the conclusion of of their um, work on April 26, 2022, they recommended that DHS create a um, a center of excellence that would do what they do. And the next day, uh, the DHS Secretary Mayorkas announced that they had just created a disinformation governance board um, with Nina Jankowitz mm-hmm. at the head of it. Um, so, but this idea of having a a universal single digital processing ticketing system that touches all the networks, including the alternative ones like Getter and um, Parler, et cetera, et cetera, takes in Mm -hmm. all the content. And the scary thing from the point of view of, you know, a free speech purist here, there's a lot of scary things, but like you could say something and get banned for it on one platform. And now all the other platforms know about that. And so you'll be, your, your history will be fed into this big computer. It's kind of like the, you know, the credit uh, score system. Um, it reminds me of Scientology, the suppressive person, suppressive person, the person who is, yeah. the person who is disloyal and or heretical uh, within a cult. Uh, yeah. And, and, and so they, they approached Twitter in early 2021 about signing on to this thing. They give them an onboarding packet. They have to, they have to log into this thing called Jira, which they have internally. They have their own Jira system inside Twitter, which is just a program that helps you decide how to, you know, what content to ban. But now they have a big Jira. It's like a global Jira. And, um, and they start sending out reports about themes that they want to address. And mm-hmm. I'm not a big COVID person. I, I I never got spun up about this issue. I got the shot. I didn't really spend a lot of time 
worrying about it, um, except from the speech angle. But reading mm-hmm. through these stories uh, for the first for the first time really gave me um, serious pause about uh, about a lot of these stories and made me wonder if I had been very seriously misinformed because they they made a conscious effort to suppress true stories of people who had had vaccine injury, um, vaccine side effects, who died after vaccines celebrity deaths after vaccines. Um, there was a school closure in upstate New York where a bunch of teachers got sick after getting the vaccine and they wanted to suppress that story. Um, Did those teachers allegedly get sick from the vaccine or they just got sick from COVID showing that the vaccine wasn't effective? No, they got sick right after they took the vaccine. No, again, okay. you can't you can't prove causality in these situations. And that's that's one of the difficulties about a lot of these things. But you had, you know, you had these stories where people would drop dead an hour after they get the vaccine or they get myocarditis or thrombocytopenia or whatever that is. Um, and, um, and so these, this group it took these true stories and it was never alleged that they were made no, up. No, no, you see. Just that they were unhelpful to the narrative that was being pushed at the yeah, time. Yeah, you see in the reports, they will describe these stories as as true, um, and they mm-hmm. will they will they won't skirt around it. They won't say like you know possible. They'll say this is a true story. Um, for instance, there was a leak of um, what they call the cyber attack. Some hacker got hold of some documents. Uh, in Europe showing that the rollout of the AstraZeneca vaccine had been accompanied with serious side effects and blood clots. And they, they characterized that mm-hmm. as a, as a cyber attack. And, um, and they admit that it's a true story, but they framed it as a disinformation event because the wrong people were retweeting it. And this is a key concept that they keep coming back to, which is they, they're not looking at truth versus untruth. They're looking at the political consequence of the story. And the, one of the first ways that they figure out whether a thing is on narrative or off narrative is who's retweeting the story. If RFK Jr. is retweeting the story, and they had this incredible, terrifying phrase to describe um, well-known offenders like RFK Jr. They said there was a. There, oh, wow. uh, I, I should read this because this is this is so scary. I, I for some reason nobody else thought this was as bad as I did. Um, but here it is: the uh, known repeat offenders, false or meeting misleading posts from the accounts of well-known repeat offenders such as Robert F. Kennedy. Um, this is a large volume of content that is almost always reportable. So, so what they're saying is basically anything that Robert F. Kennedy says is going to be, is almost always going to be reportable. They're working backwards from who the person is to decide whether or not that's a good story. In another instance, mm, good. But it's, <clears throat> But it's it's entirely circular too because 
the reason Robert Kennedy is a, you know, is a distrusted person is because he has said other things in the past that have offended them. And so, uh, you know, it's not, it's not as though he has a record or criminal record or, you know, has been proven to be a liar in some fashion. It's only because he's spoken un- inconvenient or un- uh, unapproved uh, truths in the past. Um, uh, in other words, what makes you what makes you an offender and thus then a repeat offender is that you you know pissed them off or or or, or strayed from the narrative in the past. So uh, uh, you know it, it's not proceeding from any uh, basic. Uh, criticism or critique of Robert Kennedy. No, and these aren't, again, these aren't Uh, health experts that are making these decisions. These are, these are disinformation experts who aren't expert in anything except this. And this is, is the science of algorithmically detecting um, off narrative content. So, so in other words, just to review this little bit we've traveled already misinformation disinformation whatever you want to call it comes can mm-hmm. can be true stuff that comes from the wrong people it can be true stuff that is unhelpful to the project we're trying to advance and it can be true stuff that comes too early too i mean we haven't gotten to that yet but yeah the, the, they are yeah. the the word i use in this is they are the extravagantly wrong these these folks they 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 are continually mistaken about all kinds of things but um i i wanted to read first this this um this thing that they cited um as an example of what their um how they respond to certain news stories so there's a disinformation event in their mm-hmm. weekly bulletin And it says, after CDC changes its methodology for counting COVID-19 cases among vaccinated people, anti-vaccine activists push vaccine efficacy concerns. Then there's a little bullet point. It says, the CDC announced that COVID-19 cases among vaccinated people will only be counted if they require hospitalization or result in death to maintain better data on, quote, breakthrough cases post-vaccination. Now this is in the in the period when they were still not they still didn't know that break, breakthrough cases were incredibly common and that the vaccine wasn't terribly effective in preventing transmission um and so they were they were in this sort of netherworld of trying to assert that the vaccines worked um to prevent you from getting the disease so when the CDC did this, because they were clearly mm. trying to drive down the number of COVID cases, uh, breakthrough cases among the vaccinated. So they only did this change for vaccinated people. Naturally, it says, uh, you know, the top 10 posts on this from a medical freedom Instagram account received 7000 likes. The Children's Health Defense also published an article and, su- and was subsequently tweeted by anti-vaccine abs- activist Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Um, another popular YouTube video from anti-vaccine activist, activist What's-Her-Face has been viewed over 60,000 times. Takeaway. 
The decision to be restrictive in counting breakthrough cases is seen as hypocrisy and, among some communities, suggestive of a cover-up. Which it is, but like you could read that a couple of ways as this is a subtle way of telling the this, you know, people that the CDC maybe shouldn't have done that. But that's not the guidance that they're giving to these platforms. The platforms are getting the, the guidance that they're getting is this isn't so good for the CDC. It's encouraging hesitancy. Um, it's it's empowering Robert F. Kennedy. It's making right. us look like hypocrites. Um, and they're using words like hypocrisy that we that we don't like. Well, I mean, Matt, Matt I mean, I, I'm unwilling to be so quite so charitable. What it sounds like to me is they're catching us. Uh, they're, they're catching on. Uh, they're noticing that uh, we aren't giving them the full story and noticing is going to be censored now. Uh, noticing that you are being misled, noticing that you aren't being given uh, total uh, information on the situation is now itself becoming a second order sin. You know, in other words, if the first order sin is, is reporting true stuff that um, we don't want, the second order sin is starting to talk about the fact that. Right, right. The truth yeah, is exactly. being suppressed. Yeah, you, you, you're. If you have any doubts, and if you show interest in stories that might raise your doubts, then this is a disinformation event. And why do they? Why are they worried about this? Because they are again, they're not focused on true versus untrue. They are intensely focused on the question of authority and obedience. So there is an amazing report yes. by one of the yeah. partners of the, the Virality Project, which is this company, um, Graphica. Uh, and Graphica is a DOD-funded, uh, DARPA-partnered organization run by a guy named Ben Nimmo, who used to be a NATO press secretary. And um, they ran a um, a piece called mm -hmm. Fohi, you know that uh, that that joke that people are making, F O U X I, um, about Anthony Fauci, and it's called right. Fohi undermining authoritative health sources. Uh, the June June first release of thousands of Doctor Anthony Fauci's emails. Um, gave the public a glimpse into the challenges experienced by U.S. government officials in the early days of the pandemic. Um, they alleged they the some alleged that they revealed deep ties to the Chinese government, dishonesty in public communications about the lab leak theory of the virus, and otherwise nefarious intentions for prolonging the the pandemic and lying to the public. Now this was bad, they said. Because it undermined authority, not because, uh, well, that could be the only reason it's bad, <laughs> because if you believe in the truth, it's good. Right, right. And, and this is what they go on to say. Um, they say uh, this tactic is not incidental. For years, incentivized influencers have repeatedly undermined and delegitimized authoritative health sources 
public institution, public health institutions and health experts. This continual process of seeding doubt and uncertainty in authoritative voices leads to a society that finds it too challenging to identify what's true or false. Um, I, I can barely sit in my seat when I hear that. Sorry, Matt. Uh, so for them, the breakdown of trust comes not from the fact that we've got official defense department uh, sponsored and Stanford University led um, uh, truth suppression algorithms out there. It's because people uh, are, are finding things out that are counter to the narratives that are being given them by the government. In other words, here is a defense of authority as such. The importance of authority as such, mm -hmm. you know, the long tradition of uh, 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 of challenging power and speaking truth to power is now in itself a danger to the USA. Right. Um, right. Because. Power must be trusted. Power must be trusted because the people cannot sort stuff out unless they have a strong respect for authority. And they're guided by authoritative voices. Absent that, we have chaos. So, but, but these people who are working in these places <clears throat> know firsthand that the people can't sort things out because the people aren't allowed to sort things out because we are not allowing them. So their concern over people coming to uh, rational conclusions about reality are completely, uh, uh, completely made up. Their very jobs depend on preventing people from doing that. You know, who are these robots and why do they have such consensus? Do you ever see memos saying, hey, man. If you're hearing this message, you're listening to the free version of America This Week. To hear the rest of our conversation, please subscribe at taibi.substack.com.